Good morning. Welcome to Calvary. You made it, didn't you? Through the snowstorm and all the rest. <laughs> I'm glad you did. If you, uh, uh, we, we will usually tell you if we're not going to have it, we'll get message out one way or another, but it looked, looked like we might get a little snow, but then uh, the Lord saved us from that. If you have an outline in your bulletin, grab, grab it, get it out. You're going to need it today. We're going to be looking at a lot of various scriptures. There's no one particular passage that we're looking at today, but we are in part two of a brand new series <clears throat> on living your life with margin. This is one of those lessons that I have to learn over and over and over again in my life because I am a go-getter. I like to go, 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 and then I wind up going until I can't go anymore, getting frustrated at everybody and everything around me. And that's, not some, that's not the way that the Lord would have us to live. And so uh, what we're going to talk about is how to create some breathing room in your life so that you're not rushed, running, scrambling, late, frustrated, and frustrated with everybody around you in life and always pressed out of measure. It is easy, isn't it, to get way too busy in life. Did you hear about the time that St. Peter got too busy in heaven? And uh, you have to kind of throw your theology out the window but uh, with these types of jokes. But yeah, one day, it must have been a lot of catastrophes. And so uh, St. Peter was really, really busy in heaven. And <clears throat> these three guys come walking up to the, you know, pearly gates. And they're wanting in. And so Peter looks at the first guy and he, he says, uh, you know what? We're really busy. And I've gotten orders from up above that we're only to admit people who have been through a horrible, horrible death. Looks at the first guy, he says, what's your story? That guy says, you know, I hate to tell most of this, Peter, but he says, I was convinced, absolutely convinced on earth that my wife was cheating on me with another man. But he said, uh, we live on the 25th floor of an apartment complex. And he said, when I got home one day, I knew he was there. I knew he was there. But he said, despite all my efforts and going through, he said, I walked through the whole place. I couldn't find her. I knew he was there somewhere, and I just walked out on the balcony, and he said, sure as the world, out over that 25th floor there, I saw two hands hanging on, the, on my railing of my balcony. And he said, I just, I knew I found him. He said, I got so mad and so angry that I started to beat his fingers, and I started punching him and kicking him through the railing. But he said, he wouldn't turn loose. So I went back into my apartment. And I got a hammer, and I started hitting his fingers, you know. And he said he couldn't stand that long, and so eventually he fell. And I thought I got him, but I looked down, and that lucky joker fell into some bushes and on some uh, old cuttings of bushes, and it cushioned his fall. And he was stunned, but he lived through it. In my anger, he said, I just went into the kitchen, got the refrigerator, and just pushed it out and flipped it over the thing and let it fall down, and boom, hit him, and it killed him. He said... Wow. He said, yeah, but he says, in all that anger and all that stuff, he said, my heart just couldn't handle it, and I had a heart attack, and I died. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> Peter said, well, you just, you come on in. That's a rough a death as I've heard of. No, looked at the next guy. He said, now, you've already heard it's a busy day. It just got busier. What's your story? And that guy looked at Peter, and he said, well, I live on the 26th floor of an apartment complex, and I exercise out on my balcony. And I must not have been watching what I was doing. I must have slipped and I fell over. But I thought, oh, I'm going to fall to my death. And all of a sudden, I, I got lucky. He said, I grabbed the balcony of the apartment right below me on the 25th floor. And I'm hanging on and I'm screaming, help, help. And, and I knew I wasn't going to make it long. And all of a sudden, this guy comes rushing out of his, his 
uh, glass door to the balcony, and I'm thinking, I'm going to be saved. And he said, all of a sudden, he starts hitting me. He starts punching me. He starts kicking me. And, and he said, but I held on. And then he went and got a hammer, and he hit my, all my fingertips. And he said, when I fell down, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to die, surely. He said, I landed on all these cuttings and all these bushes and stuff below, and it hurt really bad, but it didn't kill me. He says, I'm laying there, I'm thinking, just when I got lucky, I look up, and here comes a refrigerator. Of all things, falls on me and just kill me, and that's why I'm here. And so Peter says, yeah, that's a rough day. You come on in, buddy, that's for sure. And uh, he turns to the third guy, and he says, now you've heard all that. What's your story? He says, well, picture this. I was naked, hiding in a refrigerator. Now, if, if you're naked, hiding in refrigerators, you are way too busy, right? You are way too busy. It is very easy to just get stressed. You know, that sermon, doesn't, that joke doesn't have a thing in the world to do with the message hardly. It, it, I just thought it was a good one and you'd enjoy a good laugh. But you know, um, being constantly busy rushing here and there, arguing with people because you don't have time and always late and angry. Now, that's sure nothing to laugh about, is it? You remember last year, I, uh, last week I talked about what I meant by the phrase of living with some margin in your life. I put a definition on your message notes. You can look at it. Margin is the space that I create. That's intentional wording there. You have to create margin. It's the space that I create between my load and my limits. Margin equals having some breathing room in your life. It's creating some reserves so you aren't running on empty all the time. Now, we said you need margin in every area of your life. You need physical margin so you don't collapse physically. You and I need spiritual margin because fighting temptation... And doing God's work is, is hard and it's demanding. So you've got to have some excess in your tank spiritually. You can't be running on empty. You've got to have emotional margin. Why? Because relationships take a lot of energy. And if your emotions are drained, you won't have good relationships. You've got to have financial margin. You sure do. If your money runs out before your bills, you're stressed, right? You've got to avoid the pressures of debt. You need to have in your life some time margin so you're not always rushed not always in a hurry not always worn out and we're going to look at each kind of these margins in our in our series together and i'm going to really try to help you today i want to talk with you though about how to slow the pace of your life as i said um this is not my wheelhouse so to speak it's not something i'm good at i'm very good at overloading my schedule and so about once every year, once every two or three years, I have to do a major overhaul. And so through my recent heart attack and stress, and that's no fun, you know, if you think adjusting your schedule is fun, just try laying in the floor holding your chest. Uh, it's no fun. But I went back and I began to pray and say, Lord, show me. And I had some materials from Rick Warren, great stuff, one of my great mentors through the years on how to create margin and how important margin in is in your life. And I said, you know what, I forgot it. So I want to share some of that with you. And I hopefully will do it that it will help you. Um, you know, life just moves fast, doesn't it? If you want to get rich, 
invent something and advertise it as a time-saving device. This will save you time and because everybody's in a time crunch and the pace of life just keeps getting faster and faster. If you don't think it's fast, go out and let me see. One of the ways you can find out how fast life is paced, get in rush hour traffic on the freeway. Hmm? Isn't it amazing what people will do just to save a few seconds? They will literally endanger your life. It's like the Indianapolis 500. I mean, I see people pulling moves. They'll be in the complete left lane. They'll cross five lanes of traffic to take a right right there, right? Like behind you. And I'm thinking, doggone. I mean, and they do all that race car driving while they're putting makeup on. <laughs> Amen, men. <laughs> or reading. Amen, ladies. <laughs> men read all the time when we're driving. Or talking on the cell phone, right? A lot of things going on. And uh, the Bible is very clear about this, about how an overly hurried and overly busy lifestyle can affect our lives. Let me give you quickly. Now, I think you had uh, only four on your outline. Somebody pointed out after the first service. I'm going to give you five reasons, uh, five ways that hurry affects us negatively. Uh, I would have put the fifth one in there. It was just in too, too much of a hurry. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> uh, but anyway, number one, that's negative. Hurry increases my stress. When I'm, no, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about if you need to hurry up and get out of the way of a car or something. I'm talking about it just hurry, 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 rushing all the time. You ever noticed you can get so busy you don't take time for yourself? Huh? You ever had that happen to you? Of course. In Song of Solomon, a book in the Old Testament where a lover, uh, two lovers are talking back and forth, Solomon and the Shulamite woman, and she says this. It's fascinating. She says, like, they gave me to be the, the keeper of the vineyards. They made me. They gave me this big position. But then what does it say? But my own vineyard I have not kept. Hmm. Some of you need to put that verse on your refrigerator this week because you're not taking care of yourself because you're so busy taking care of everyone else. This is especially true when you got little children. And it's okay to take care of them. They have to be cared for, but you need some time for yourself. You've got to take care of you. When you have no margin, no extra time, no cush time, so to speak, you're always a day late and a dollar short. And what that creates is stress. And you're always in a hurry. Your personal reserves then get depleted, and it's going to increase stress. So number two, number one, it increases stress. Number two, hurry decreases my joy. It decreases my joy. The faster you move, it's been shown and proven, the less time that you have to enjoy life. As an illustration, if you and I were to fly across the United States, you wouldn't enjoy much of the actual things on the ground. You don't even see a lot of the stuff because you're moving so fast. But if you were to drive, now there's, again, use logic through this series, okay? Don't, don't check your brain at the door. There, is, uh, there are times when you have to fly, right? Times when it's not convenient. But you could see and enjoy so much more of America if you drove it than you could if you flew it, right? Absolutely. The, the Grand Canyon would look entirely different. And so, um, this, is, uh, this is just key. Sometimes you just have to slow down 
to increase your joy. Uh, to smell the roses, you have to what? That's right. Stop and smell the roses. So the second thing, hurry decreases my joy. Number three, hurry not only increases my stress and reduces my joy, hurry makes me less productive. Now that seems so counterintuitive because we think, i got so much to do, i, I got to hurry, i got to speed up. But actually, being in a hurry too much will actually hurt your productivity. One of my former assistants taught me this, and often when I get frazzled and things I'm running, I still hear her voice. She used to say this, now, Jack, you're in a hurry, so just slow down a little bit. Now, she didn't mean crawl, but she would say, just slow down just a little bit, because if you get in too much of a hurry, she would say, you'll make mistakes, and you'll, it'll take you longer than if you'll just slow down just a little bit. It's so very true, isn't it? Study after study after study has shown that multitasking, trying to do everything at once, it, it's actually a myth. It doesn't work. You might think you're good at multitasking, but you're not. You're just kidding yourself, and you're not working at your full capacity because your brain cannot multitask and be fully functional and fully locked in on one thing, proven over and over and again. It's when we hurry that we're make, making mistakes. Now, if we took the time, every one of us could give a testimony right here this morning about some time that you get in a hurry and you put the wrong stuff in the recipe, right? Or the wrong amount. Or you get in a hurry and you, uh, you make a wrong decision. You, you get in a hurry and you turn and make the wrong turn and then it takes you longer and on and on and on. So I want you to write something down on your outline. Just write this down. Not really a space for it necessarily. Not a blank, but write this down. I can't keep charging without recharging. I can't keep charging, can't keep charging ahead without recharging. We understand this analogy in life. If we keep uh, taking food out of the cabinets at home and we take it out and we prepare a meal and we take more out and we prepare another meal and we take more out, eventually you got to do what? you got to restock. you got to fill the cabinets back up. We know that. You can't just continually take from and take from and take from. Eventually, it has to be restocked. Same thing with your car or truck or motorcycle. If you continue to run it and run it and run it, you got to stop and do what? Refuel. Well, guess what? The same thing is true in your life and in mine. God did not create you so that you could just go and go and go and go and charge and charge and charge ahead without recharging. In fact... I've always thought about a funny, what I, to me seems to be a funny picture. I can only imagine the Lord's view of earth. To look down and see us all during the part of the 24-hour span that he calls day and see all these people building and working and driving and racing and honking the horns and moving and then see us in the middle of the night to look down. And what are we all doing? <sighs> They're so tired. I must think how God must view that, you know, like everybody's racing around, racing around, and then all of a sudden, it's not long. They're recharging. Most of us are recharging. But some of you, I love you, but if I ate like you ate, if I exercised like you exercised, and I slept like you sleep, I would be in the onset of clinical depression in less than two weeks. And God never intended you to live that way. 
And you cannot really love God and love others and spread the word and be a disciple of Christ if you're doing that. So in the end of the day, you've got to understand that hurry, 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 go, 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 really makes you less productive in the long run. You've got to recharge. Next reason, or result of hurry. Hurry, this is terrible for a Christian, it dries up my love. It dries up love. You get in a hurry, the first thing that you'll start doing is skimming relationally. You don't have time for deep conversations with everybody. You don't have time to listen to somebody that's got a real problem. You're not looking people in the eye. You ever been guilty of this shallow listening? You're in a hurry and you're thinking about something that person over there has got to do or something you've got to do over there, but somebody interrupts you and they're talking and you're trying to listen, but you're dead thinking about that thing that's happening over there that you've got to get done. And pretty soon they just give up because they say, he never listens to me. He's not paying me any attention. She doesn't care. And it's true. Why? Because hurry, just go, 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 go. I got to do this, got to do that. Sometimes some of you get into such a hurry. Some of us, I do, that we lead people to believe that we don't love them. That's because hurry dries up your love. And the truth is, we really don't love them if we're not slowing down enough to at least hear their heart, slowing up enough to really help them. Love takes time, T-I-M-E. Love takes time. How do you know in your life who really loves you and who doesn't? They spend time with you, right? They'll take time for you. Paul says this about it in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. The great apostle Paul, what a miracle worker, what a preacher, what a pastor, what a missionary, what an apostle. And he said this. He's talking about all the great spiritual gifts he could have. He said, you know, and though I had the gift of prophecy, if I could preach and foretell the future, and though I understand all mysteries, and if I had all knowledge, I mean, if I knew everything, and though I had all faith, so much so that I could move mountains, but I don't have love, I am what? Nothing. Now, folks, you can't get any less than nothing. You can't get any less than nothing. If you accumulate, sir, if you accumulate, ma'am, the heights of what you would deem a success... But you don't slow down, take time to love the human beings that God has put around you in life and love life itself. You are just wasting your life. That's nothing. You're accomplishing nothing. I can promise you, I'm starting to understand it. When you begin to get older, and please don't write me off as I say this, because it's true and it's wisdom learned from gray hair. When you start getting older, you're going to see how much more people matter than things. Relationships. Relationships matter. But I'm going to promise you, hurry will dry up your love. You know, when I'm not loving because I'm rushing, now listen, you know what I'm doing? I'm rushing around. I'm in a hurry and I'm rushing around. And here's what I'm doing. Instead of loving people, I'm yelling at the people I love. Because they're not up at the speed that I think they ought to be at. Hurry drives up my love. Here's an additional one. An additional one that I was in too much of a hurry to put in your notes. <laughs> Although it's very important. Hurry 
keeps you from hearing God. When you're just rushing around, when you're overwhelmed, when every moment of every day is taken, you don't have any time for prayer. Hurry kills your prayer life. It is the death of a prayer life because you have to be quiet to hear God's voice. You can't hear God in a hurry. You can't say, God, okay, now I've got 30 seconds now. Please tell me quick, what's your will for my life? <laughs> Doesn't happen. The Bible actually says this in Psalm 4610. It's an incredible psalm. It's a very famous verse. Most of you know it. Be still and know that I'm God. Now listen, we don't, most of the time, we read the Bible even too fast. What does it say? Be still. Be quiet. Be still. Most of us, if God wanted to talk to us and wanted to give us instruction, we, we probably couldn't hear him because we've got our ear pods in. We've got uh, our phones that we have to answer 96 times an hour. Uh, we're checking Instagram and Facebook and everything else, or, or we're watching TV. And, I, and I'm not condemning all that stuff, but I'm just saying you have to have some quiet me and God time. You see, I can tell you how to grow spiritual uh, to spiritual maturity. Here's the deal, though. I can't tell you how to do that quickly. It takes time. And it takes quiet time. Time with God. Now, I want to give you some tips, about five tips, that I think will, will really help you. Because those are the things we've talked about that cause stress in your life. Stress and worry and hurry cause you to lose your joy. It causes your love to dry up. You can't hear God. And I want to take a few moments to give you five things that you have to learn in order to, to slow down a little bit and really love God and really love others so you can reach the world for Jesus Christ. Here's the first step. We'll cover each one of these in detail in, in additional messages in the future. Today, I just want to give you an overview. First one, learn to be content. Now, boy, that's, that's a tough one. But you're going to have to try to learn to be content. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, and where was he at when he said this? He was in prison. He was in prison. He didn't have a lot, did he? Materially speaking. But here's what he said. Now, I want you to circle a word. I have what? Learned. Circle that word. I have learned in whatever state I am, to be content. Now, boy, that's a guy, he's in prison, and he says, it's okay, I'm content. Now, circle that word learn. I've learned to be content, because that tells us two things. First of all, by nature, we're not content. You ever notice that? By nature, I'm, nat I'm naturally discontented. I want to improve it. I want it better. I want, uh, I'm discontented. But here's the great thing. So what we have to do is learn to be contented. But here's the great thing. Contentment can be learned. Paul says so. I have learned to be content. You can unlearn, if you will, discontent. And you can learn contentment. If you're serious about slowing down the pace of your life so that you're going to have to some margin room and you can actually grow in Christ and get past all the hurry and the fuss and the frustration, you're going to have to be real honest and deal with something. You're going to have to deal with your motivations. Why do you rush? Why do you overload yourself? 
why do you constantly feel like there's never enough? And you're going to have to deal with some hang-ups and values that drive your discontent. You have to stop this constant push for more. So let me ask you, let me just be real personal with you. Why are you discontented? Don't answer out loud. <laughs> but think about it. Why do you constantly have to push for more? Why do you constantly have to take on more? Why do you constantly, why can't you be content? Why do you add more activities to your schedule, more achievement in your career, more money in your account, more experiences that you've chalked up, more things off your bucket list, huh? Now, there's nothing wrong with ambition. If there's one thing I hate, it's laziness. I despise laziness. Ambition is how we get things done. But hear me, ambition out of control is a destructive thing. You ever seen somebody with ambition that's totally out of control? They're going to do what they want to do because they got their mind set on the goal. They're ambitious. They don't care who they're leaving in their wake. That's a terrible thing. But here's the, so I, I'm not talking about being lazy, but here's what I'm saying. In our society today, we don't know the meaning of slow down. We don't know the meaning of stop. Quiet. Be calm. I'm, I'm learning this. I'm learning it. I'm relearning it for the thousandth time, but I've got to. And I want you to, too. Now, you've got to learn to be content. You've got to work towards it. And we'll get down with dealing some of the motives of why you're not. Second thing you've got to do, you've got to learn to say no. <clears throat> if you're going to slow down the pace of your life, quit being pressed out of measure, you've got to learn to say no. Now, some people, how many of you think you can say no real easy if somebody you love is asking you to do something? Anybody here says, I can say no pretty easy. I see one or two hands. Some of you are kind of like this because I, I believe you could. Uh, some people are direct enough they can. But, yep, I, I believe you can, Joanne. I, I don't believe you have a problem with that. Now, why'd y'all laugh about that? I, that's a quality. Now, because <laughs> they have learned. You have to, you've learned it. That's exactly right. Now, how many of you, being honest, would say, it's really difficult for me to say no. Even if I know I shouldn't, I'll still most of the time say yes, huh? Oh, boy, look at the hands. Yeah, yeah. I, that's okay. Listen, we could all talk about something we said yes to that we should have said no to and we knew it beforehand. Listen, but for most of us, we don't only need a to-do list, we need a don't-do list. Amen? That's the way I am. I mean, I tell you the quickest way to overload your life and schedule and mentality emotionally and physically and time-wise is to say yes to everything. The Bible says that if you are saying yes to everything, it is going to get you into trouble. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 25, I tried to put most of these since we're going all over a lot of scriptures, says this. Now, it's talking about making a vow to, to God, but look here what it says. It is a snare or a what? Trap for a man to devote or to commit rashly. You know what that means? Quickly, without thinking it through. It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy 
and afterward reconsider his vows. Why? Because if I say, yeah, and to be something to be holy just means it's set apart. I've set apart time for it. It's all the word holy means. So if you say, yeah, I'll set aside some time for this. Yeah, I'll set aside time for that. Yeah, I'll help you with that. And I'll help, yeah, and I'll help you with that. What are you going to do? Later, here's exactly what you're going to do. You're going to go, oh my gosh, I can't do all that. Why did I ever agree to doing that, right? You ever had that thought? Why did I ever agree to doing that? Well, that's what the scripture's talking about, how an impulsive vow is a trap. And that, what it's saying is, don't make a promise without pondering, without thinking about it. Choose your commitments carefully. Now, I'm going to give you right now, you can write them down, two real just good personal tips from my own life that I have had to... I think you should write the first one down. You should post it somewhere on your speedometer. You should post it on your refrigerator where you'll see it, and you should read it about 20 times a day, and you should repeat it to yourself. First of all, I have the right to say no. Write that down. I have the right to say no and not give an excuse or a reason. Mm. I have the right to say no and not give an excuse or a reason. If some of us could muster the nerve, somebody comes in and asks us, can you do so-and-so? I really need your help, and you know you shouldn't do it. Some of us could muster the nerve to say, no, we don't do this. We don't zip it right there. You know what we do? I use that. I always do it mentally. I don't do it in front of the person. No. <laughs> I say, no, I'm not able to. And then I just have a mental image of z don't speak. Here's why. Because we'll say, can you come in? Can, can you help me with this? And they rush in. I mean, I really need your help. And I know I can't. I know I'm committed. But I'll say, no, I can't. But... I could do such, 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 such. And I talked myself right back into the thing I was supposed to say no to, right? You ever do that? So if it's something that you really can't do or you shouldn't do, you don't have time to, or you, or you give a reason, well, no, I can't because I got to go to so-and-so-and-so. Well, then, couldn't you come before them? You know, so it's okay. You have a right, a God-given right to say no and not give an excuse. Just say, nope. Can't do it. Zip it up. Don't do that in front of them, okay? <laughs> Number two, this has helped me because I always want to help people, right? I always want to, I want everybody to be happy and just get along, and, and I like to help people. It's one of my spiritual gifts, the gift of helps. Begin, write this down, begin to under-promise and over-deliver. You got it? Begin to under-promise and over-deliver. So your friend comes to you and says, Man, can you get this done and could you do it by, I need it by like Thursday. And you know in your life dream there's no way you're going to get it done by Thursday. You're already overwhelmed, pressed out of measure, and ain't got time. You got three weddings between now and Thursday. How are you going to do that? But you say, Yeah, yeah, I'll get it back to you by Thursday. There's no way. So... Instead of, now, now, you know what we call that, don't you? That's over-promising, and then you're going to do what? Under-deliver, because you aren't going to get it done until Friday or Saturday when they call you Thursday night and say, why didn't you get over here? Well, I was busy. Okay, 
So here's what you do. If you just can't say no, then overpromise and un, and uh, excuse me, underpromise and overdeliver. So you say, well, I can't get it by Thursday, but I could get it to you by Saturday. You're still giving them an option. You're still not just having to say no outright. And look, if they say, I need it Thursday, and you say, well, I can get it to you by Saturday, and then, man, if you happen to get it to them by Friday, you're a what? You're a champ. You delivered a day early. So just a couple of tips that will help you in simplifying and not being stressed out. One of the reasons that we get stressed out is because we can't say no. And sometimes the reason we get stressed out is because we just overpromise. We promise things we could never deliver. Now here's a real life lesson. Think with me. I promise you. This will help you. Leader's lesson. It's always easier to get in than it is to get out. You believe that? All right. Is it easier to get in debt or to get out of debt? In debt. Absolutely. Duh. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's clear. How about this? Is it easier to get into a bad relationship or to get out of a bad relationship? Out. Uh, out. Boy, don't date Ben, I tell you. He'll ditch you in a heartbeat. No, it's easier to get into a bad relationship than it is to get out of one. It's hard to get out of one. Is it easier to gain weight than it is to lose weight? Yeah. Is it easier to fill your schedule up than it is to, to fulfill your schedule? Absolutely. It's always easier to get in than it is to get out. So the Bible says that's why you need to learn to say no to some things. Don't commit to everything. Now, here's a huge mistake that we all make. We think we can just keep adding things to our schedule, adding things to our yes, 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 but never take away anything else. Never eliminate anything. Churches are the worst about this. We joke about it, don't we? We say, uh, we have to do this because what? We've always what? We've always done that. But you can't just keep adding and adding and adding things. So when you start a new activity, it's always good and wise to ask, okay, what am I willing to give up to be able to do that? What am I going to give up to be able to do that? Because you can't do it all. Next thing that you're going to have to learn in order to slow the pace of your life to a healthier pace is this. Learn to take a weekly Sabbath day of rest when God created this universe he worked six days and in six days he created the heaven and the earth I'm a direct creationist an immediate creationist and he created this earth in six literal 24-hour days but he did what on the seventh day why was he tired was God worn out did God need a break was God exhausted was he hungry was he fatigued? No, not at all. Not at all. He's an infinite God. He never gets tired. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He did it because he wanted to set a pattern for you and for me that we just cannot. They have tried in communist countries time and time again and in different cultures to eliminate a day of rest. And they've said man will work so many hours a day and no break and they absolutely humans burn out every single time it cannot be broken not for long 
Now, you know the Bible is filled with a bunch of principles and commands for living and all those principles and commands in this book, whether it is thou shalt not or thou shalt. I tell you what, they're all for our good. Now, mark it down. The Bible says, taste of me and see that I am good, saith the Lord. The most famous commands in the Bible, there are 10 of them. Everybody know what they're called? Ten Commandments. They're not the Ten Suggestions, but they're the Ten Commandments. And guess what? They're not for God's benefit. He doesn't tell us the Ten Commandments. That's not for His benefit. Those are for our benefit. They're for our good. They don't make God's life easier. They make our life easier. Now, in the Ten Top Commandments, the Ten, the Top Ten, the Big Ten, right up there with don't commit adultery, right up there with do not murder, do not steal, do not lie. There's the fourth commandment. Do you know what it says? After six days, you take a day off. It's called the Sabbath. It means, Sabbath means rest. The New Testament literally says it doesn't matter which day you do it. Paul says you can do it. One man considers one day sacred and another man considers all days alike. But you need to take one day and have rest. Fascinating to me. Fascinating to me. Rest and relaxation are so important that God put it in the Big Ten. Every six days, every week, you take a day off. You know when my Sabbath is? It's not Sunday. This is a huge work day for me. People always say, well, we're supposed to rest on a Sunday. I said, well, boy, I wish somebody had told me that. I've, been, I've worked every Sunday, you know, with the exception of about two or three. I think Tony covered for me last year. I've worked every Father's Day for the last 40 years. My day is Friday. That's why if you try to call me on Friday, short of a house being on fire or being a major, you know, death, something like that, it, it's going to be hard to get me. You know what I did this last Friday, my Sabbath? Stayed in the bed. <laughs> me and Mama just rested all day. Isn't that cool? Just pull up the blanket, turn the electric blanket on. I'd get out and get cold. My feet get cold and get back in the electric blanket. <laughs> Felt good. Just rested. I'm on all these blood thinners now. I have to get my body warm somehow. But sometimes, boy, when the weather's right, just good, just take a day and just rest, isn't it? You know, I realized I hadn't done that in so long. I kept thinking, boy, I need to get up and do this. No, I'm just going to rest. Man, it felt great. How long has it been since you really took a day of rest? Some of you, it's been a long time. Hey, wives, look at me. Let the poor guy rest. Husbands, husbands, look at me. How about you cook her breakfast one day or you do something and let her rest? Let's love one another. Take a day of rest. Just rest. You don't have to do it all. You can't do it all. But your body will take a rest one way or another. Amen? It will. You'll get one. All right, I got you stirring. I can hear you going back and forth out there now. All right. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you the last two real quick here because we're about two minutes before, and I want you to go home and rest this afternoon. Number four. Oh, this is tough, tough, tough. You've got to learn to trust God's perfect timing. I think one of the reasons that we go, go, go and earn, earn, earn and grasp, grasp, grasp is because 
we're impatient. If discontent is one of the causes of hurrying, then impatience has to be the other cause. I'm not satisfied, and I want it now. We get in a hurry and we get impatient. Impatience, I think impatience, I want it now, is caused by a lack of trust. When we don't really believe that God has our best interest at heart. And by the way, and I use credit and everything else, but I think credit and credit cards has been one of the most faith-destroying things that I've seen come along in my lifetime. When I was a kid, almost nobody had credit cards. Now everybody has them. We don't even carry cash. But I remember when I first became a Christian, having if I wanted something, I dealt in cash money. And I remember if I wanted something, I had to pray about it. Because I had to have money in my hand to go out and buy it. But now, I don't think of it like this, but I don't have to pray. Because if I want it, you can tell how much mine get out, can't you? Yeah. Bam. You can have it all. MasterCard, got Visa. Now, nothing wrong with using it. I just want you to notice, but that tight getting back in, too. <laughs> we talk about tight, that's bad, ain't it? But you know what? We get in a hurry sometimes, get pressed out of measure because we're trying to make it happen. We've asked God for something, prayed for something, and when it isn't delivered in our time, and we just move right on ahead like Abraham in the Old Testament. You remember waiting on the promised son? Tried to go out and have that son through another woman instead of waiting for the miracle child through Sarah. So often we struggle and we strive for what God already intends to give us, but we're just in a hurry. Now, when God wants to make a squash, you've heard me say this, God wants to make a squash, he takes about 40 days. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes about 40 years. Now, you don't want your life to be a squash, do you? <laughs> you want it to be like an oak, a mighty oak. And I can show you, as I said, how to grow spiritually mature, but I can't show you. There is no quick way because you have to learn to be patient and you pray and you depend on God and you trust his perfect timing and by the way his timing is always perfect sometimes God has to take us through difficulties to teach us this to trust him and it's not just you you'll be glad to know the apostle Paul struggled with this very thing I love the humanness of the writers of scripture sometimes Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1 9 we suffered, and he suffered a lot, didn't he? But look what he says. You ever thought about this? We suffered so that we would stop trusting ourselves hmm. and learn to trust God who brings the dead back to the life. Now let me ask you something. Could Paul, can you bring dead people back to life? No. So you can't make things happen that are out of your control, can you? No. Can God bring dead people back to life? Absolutely. So why don't you wait on him instead of trying to trust, it, trust on him instead of trusting on yourself? Because you can't do it anyway. That's, that's the thing here. Paul said we had to suffer so we'd learn to stop trusting. In our... Paul was smart. Paul was incredibly brilliant. 
He was a trained lawyer, trained by Gamaliel, one of the smartest, brightest Pharisees there was. But he had to learn that he wasn't as smart as God. Some of you are waiting right now. Some of you are suffering right now. Wouldn't it be good if that suffering helped you to learn to depend and trust more on God than yourself? Trust His timing. All right. Let me wrap it up by giving you one more. And we'll close. If you're going to simplify your life, you got to learn... You got to learn to uh, let love be your deciding factor. Let love be your filter, so to speak. Because you got all these things coming at you, right? Choices, options. You can do this, can I do that? Here, so here's what you do I learn to use love as my filter for everything that I choose my time, my money, my energy, anything else. Love is your number one time management filter. How do I do that? I'm saying when you have to decide between two competing priorities, am I going to do this or this? You should always choose the most loving option. Not the most selfish, not the most gratifying. Which one would love have me do? Which of these two things is the more loving thing to do? Is this going to help me to love God, love others? Spread the word, or is this just going to help me? Now, here's the question to ask. What's the loving thing to do right here, right now? And sometimes the loving thing to do for your children or for your wife or for your husband or for your coworkers is to say no to another task so that you can say yes to the important things. Let me read you this poem, and I'm finished. I don't know who authored it, but here's what it's called. Slow me down, Lord. <laughs> now just listen to it meditatively and think about it. Slow me down, Lord. Ease the pounding of my heart by the quieting of my mind. Steady my hurried pace with a vision of eternity never-ending. Give me, amidst the confusion in my day, the calmness, an image of everlasting hills. Break the tension of my nerves with the soothing sound of a singing stream that lives in my memory. You know, there's been a time in your life, my life, when you sat, by a stream and you actually heard it? You actually heard the birds sing? You actually heard a babbling brook? Help me, Lord, to learn and remember the restoring power of sleep. Teach me that the art of take teach me the art of taking minute vacations, of slowing down to look at a flower, to pat a stray dog to chat with an old friend or make a new one. Teach me, Lord, to watch a spider build a web or to smile at a child or read a few lines from a good book. Remind me, Lord, each day that the race is not always to the swift and that there is more to life 
than just increasing its speed. Lord, let me look upward into the branches of the towering oak and know that it grew great and strong because it grew slowly and it grew well. Are you really personally tired of an overloaded life? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? I really want this journey over the next few weeks to be something that will help us to grow. And my challenge for you today is this. Will you commit to the rest of this series? Will you commit to doing some of the things, and even one of the things that we've talked about today? It may save your life. It may save the life of a loved one near you. It may save your relationships with your children, with your husband, with your wife. It may save a lot of frustration. It may help you tremendously. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now as we come to you that we would just fall into your arms and say, Lord, I so need your help. Might we let love be the measure, be our filter, what's the most loving thing to do? Or perhaps you need to learn to take a weekly day of rest, really take a day off. Or maybe you need to let someone take a day off. Let your mate or your spouse or your children rest. Perhaps you need to learn to say no. To a lot of things, I think we all could do that. Learn to trust God's timing. Whatever it is, whatever it is, He loves you. And He wants you to learn to slow down and do the things that are important so you can love God, love others, and spread the word with your life. Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit's power now that you would drive these things home and into our hearts that we would learn to enjoy life and those around us because we're not flying through it at 90 miles an hour. In Jesus' name, amen.